All right, well, let's get into the scriptures this morning. So I'll just remind you where we're at. So we're working through the book of Ephesians right now, but today is that once a month Sunday where we go back to something that we started in January. And what we started was to talk about a rule of life. And what we mean by a rule of life is a set of values and a set of practices that we would choose to say, living life in this culture gives me a lot of options, and I want to choose what I really want to live by. And that's that I want to live in the kingdom of God, and I want to live by my own values and not just be on on default mode or necessarily go along with what's around me. Around us, there are so many options. Some of them are wonderful. Some of them are not so good. Some of them are terrible. And so the idea is that you have the freedom uh, in Christ and even in this country to choose the life that you live. So establishing a rule of life that's your, this is how I want to live. So we are going through this year, once a month, talking about a different spiritual discipline that could be a part of that rule that helps you be the woman or the man of God that you want to be. And just to help you out a little bit, I want to show you my own rule of life here. Kevin, you want to advance that for me? Thank you. So this is my rule of life, and it's always a working document. It changes. But what it is right now at the top, it talks about my beliefs And then I have a prayer that comes from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians. The theme of both of those, both my beliefs and my prayer, is about fullness. And this this is the theme for my life, is realizing that God has offered us in Christ not just eternal life, but a fuller life now. And so my goal all the time is that I would live into that fuller life and that I would help the people around me do the same. And so fullness is all over that. So I say my own personal calling is to come alongside others and help them learn the wisdom of God that allows them to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that they, you're a part of this, may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. So that's my life theme, is I want fullness for myself, I want fullness for my family, I want fullness for anyone who says yes to Jesus Christ. That's what he offers us. So I talk about that constantly. My core values are love and equality, peace, purity, and wholeness. Those are things that are just highly important to me that I work for. My priorities, these are things I've done in the last year. Wherever I see uh, the possibilities, I want to release all judgment. So I'm learning to let go of the highly conservative perspective I grew up with that caused me to do a lot of judging of people and their actions. I'm learning to respect everyone has a story and the story that you have really makes you kind of who you are. A lot of us didn't have a ton of choices when it came to who we are today because of our story. So I'm trying to release judgment. And as you can see the rest of those. So these are the things that I want to live by. I revisit this regularly just to remember this is who I want to be. This is what's important to me. The piece of it that we're all working on right now is this last piece, my regular practices. So these are the things that I try and do faithfully, daily, weekly, bi-monthly, monthly, quarterly, annually. I try to do these faithfully because they empower me to do all of this. This is awesome, and it's profound, and it sounds great, but it could be nothing more than empty words if I'm not practicing and disciplining myself in these ways to be this kind of a person. And so where are we at with the rest of you? If you don't yet have a fully developed rule of life, here's where we're at. 
We've encouraged you to start one, and we are encouraging you right now to work on your own regular practices. What are the things that you're going to do faithfully that help you be the woman or the man that you want to be? And we believe God helps us a ton in this. So we talked about the scriptures and encouraged you to have some kind of a daily reading plan that you're in. The scriptures fuel the spirit. I would say to you, even if you don't you know, learn a lot in the word in the morning, it's just simply that you're there and it feeds your spirit and it feeds the Holy Spirit. You don't have to take notes. You don't have to come up with a grand epiphany every day. But simply faithfulness, it's just like eating food. You don't really think hard about, okay, where is that food going right now? I know the meat is going over here and the proteins are going to this. And we don't work that through. We just eat. (laughs) And really, scriptures can be the same way. I'm not discouraging study or using your mind, but I'm saying if you just eat a little bit every day, you'll actually find you have some strength. So we encourage that. And then a month ago, Consuela and I were up here together talking about Sabbath, It's a rhythm God has created for all of humanity. We were designed to only have about six days worth of energy, and we were designed to have a day to shut down and to refuel, and that's scientifically the way that it is. Our earth is that way. We've discovered that God was right, that land should be allowed to rest every few years, that the best farming happens when you farm for, I think it's six years, and then it's the seventh year that you allow the land to rest to let it get nutrition, uh, nutrients in it again. Humans are built the same way. I don't know if you've ever done this. I used to lay brick, and when I tried to work seven days, it was impossible. I was forced to take a day off, and if I didn't do it on Sunday, I had to do it on Monday. I just didn't have the capacity. And so we want to quite not fight that rhythm, but we want to work with it. So we really encourage you to carve out four hours or 24 hours in your daily life as, a, as housemates, as roommates, as a family, as a person, to do that. It's what you were meant for. You'll still get everything done. And maybe you should quit some things if you don't. (laughs) We need space to refuel. So today we want to add a new discipline. We want to talk about prayer in a very specific way. So I have a couple of quotes for you. There's a couple of books that I've been reading. Uh, One is called Soul Feast. And Kevin, go ahead and Go to this next quote. So Marjorie Thompson is a doctor and a a spiritual director, and she says this. She says, prayer is the essential expression of our relationship to God. Prayer is the essential expression of our relationship to God. Because God is invisible, um, we're left with audible. (laughs) We can't see him, but we can speak to him. And we can hear from him. And she says this is central to our relationship with God. Another quote from Richard Foster. He writes in his book, Celebration of Discipline, the discipline of prayer brings us into the deepest and highest work of the human spirit. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. Can anybody readily agree with that? Yeah, how, how would you explain that? That's a pretty profound statement. How does prayer transform you? Yeah, it aligns you with his agenda, his will. Right. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. 
Kind of like we talked about last week, slipping into that heavenly realm, that place where God is. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's what the book of Psalms was all about, right? They're essentially, it's a book of prayers. And I, I know that we in Protestant Christianity have gotten away from written prayers and from like the common book of prayer and some of those ancient church practices. The beauty of those things though, I've come to discover is sometimes I don't have the words. Um, in our spontaneous life that we live as non-denominational Protestants, sometimes it's way too much work to... to practice spiritual disciplines, because I'm always calling upon myself to come up with fresh words and fresh thoughts and rethink them. But if you use songs or the Psalms or written prayers, some of the best thoughts are already there. All you need to do is mean it (laughs) as you read it. And you can do that, right? Yeah, we can absolutely mean it. So I would encourage, if you haven't been in any kind of practice of reading prayer, you might choose a prayer that once you say it the way you really want to, write it down. And feel free to pray that again. Uh, I, I wouldn't see that as awkward unless you make it awkward. And I wouldn't see it as insincere unless, unless you make it insincere. So maybe that can be a good thing to do. So prayer is a couple of things. First of all, and most commonly, we would talk about prayer as communication. It's simply us talking to God and God talking to us. It's how we interact with an invisible God, with a God who is spirit. And this is probably what we would think of the most. Um, We say our prayers, and then we listen for God to communicate to us, and he does. He communicates in our intuition. He communicates through the scriptures. He communicates through other people. He communicates by the way that our life unfolds. And there's lots of ways that we can hear from God. But today I want to focus on another aspect of prayer, and that is actually... um, Go ahead, Kevin. Oh, I dropped a slide. There's a slide missing, so go back, and I'll tell you what it said. (laughs) Right here, it said the word communion. So prayer is both communication and communion. And by communion, we mean what? Intimacy. Yeah, there's a great word, just being close, really connected. This is something we do with humans, right? I'm sure that you have a friend or a spouse that you like to just be with. And after you've talked and talked out the practicalities, it's good just to be with them and not have to discuss what you're going to do. If you do a date night, uh, this is really important, that date nights are communing with your spouse, where you're not reviewing what happened today and what do we need to do tomorrow. We're just being together. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What's been going on with you? This is what we're invited into, is to communion. Oh, you found it. Okay, well, that's awesome. So two amazing words to put under communion, including intimacy, (laughs) are togetherness and oneness. And this is where we are simply with God. I want to say to you, too, I don't know what it is in humanity, but we are forever letting something else be between us and God. Um, And most often, it's actually the things God has given us to help us. So he's given us the Bible, 
But sometimes we can stop at the Bible, and so we have intimacy with the Scriptures, with words and truths, but we don't move through the words to the God who is behind the words. So we might say that we're people of the book, and really we're, we're connecting our identity to the book, but we're not actually people of the book, we're people of the God who has written a book. And we can do the same thing with... Um, other practices. The nations that Israel lived around, they did the same thing with what they called idols. They said, this piece of silver represents my God, and then they would worship it. But they would never get to a God behind it. The God was simply in that thing. And I think we can do this too. When we call ourselves a community of faith, we can kind of stop right there and say, my identity is this dogma that is Christian faith. And again, that, we can end up worshiping that and not, not communing with God himself. Who's the God behind the faith? Who's the God behind the truth? And God is always inviting us to get past that thing in between us into communion. And we want to make sure that we do that. I would even say sometimes prayer becomes a thing that we hold on to more than the God that's behind the prayer. And so we'll pray often and we'll pray in hopelessness and we'll invite hundreds of people to pray with us because we're kind of putting our hope in the idea of prayer, not as much in the God behind the prayer. You know, the God behind the prayer, Paul chose to ask in really deep matters simply three times. And then he trusted that whatever God's answer by then was, was the answer. And he didn't, it wasn't like, if I pray this 2,300 times, it'll happen. <laughs> like, it's not the praying that works. And, and I don't want to discourage you to ask others to pray, but sometimes when we ask for thousands of people in churches, are, are, is the hope in the action and in the process, or is the hope in the God who will answer in the way that he will answer? And for me, that's just, that's a relief. Like, God isn't saying, I will answer this when you get enough energy behind it, and you do these right things, and you say the words in just the right way, and you get enough people on board, I'll do it. He's never said that. He's never said that. So we're free from working so hard at it. He would rather have us communing with him. So here's, a, here's an example of communication in this next slide. This is Ephesians 1, 16 and 17. So here's an example of simply communicating. Paul writes to the church, I pray for you constantly, asking God, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in knowledge of God. So this is communication. Paul is saying, God, you have what we need. Please give it to us. I ask you for it. He's asking for something. Oh, there's the sequence. I found the other slide. Yeah. yeah. So let's, let's go two slides. No, let's go three. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> but... Here is what we're talking about with communion, and this is where I want to spend the bulk of our time this morning. And Kevin, this is two slides for four verses, so we'll, I'll read through both of them. So listen carefully. John writes to his beloved friends, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes, Jesus we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and we proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. 
He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we have ourselves, what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship, communion, intimacy with us. And our intimacy, our communion, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may have, you may share in our joy. This is what we've been invited into. After the asking and the communicating is done, this is the place we want to live, the place that we want to stay. And I love that John ties it together with one another. He says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Our communion is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And he attaches it immediately to one another. And that's why it's so good to talk about this today with you in the room. Because as you are able to commune with God, and as I am able to commune with God, we end up right next to each other. Because you're drawing close to God and you're at the feet of Jesus and I'm doing the same. And if I open my eyes and I look, oh, you're right there. You're right here. It's this idea that God is here and we are kind of all over the map. But as we draw close to him and we become intimate with him, the closer we are to him, the closer we are to each other. And this is the beauty of what Jesus has given us. Not just eternal life, but life now, life with God, life in his presence. In those first couple of quotes from Marjorie and uh, uh, Mr. Foster, Richard Foster, there was something powerful. They talked about prayer transforms. And I just want to reminisce with you a little bit about this idea of communing prayer and prayer transforming. And I want to share with you a little bit of, of how I understand that and what that means to me. So what I find is when I consciously choose to acknowledge that God is close And to be with him, there's this wonderful alignment that happens with our hearts. And there's just this sense of light uh, that is there with God. It says Jesus is the light of the world. He is our light. If we have fellowship in the light, 1 John says, and that light just tends to expose everything in the room. And I know as I'm present with God, there's, there's no secrets that I could bring up. Uh, If I confess something, I know he already knows it. He just, he's looking for me to articulate it. If I praise him about some attributes, he's not going to be surprised by what I say. He's not going to be, wow, I've never thought of that before. <laughs> so it's, it's as much for my own mind and heart and realization as it is for God. We never want to think that we're just talking to ourselves. That's not the idea. But so much of prayer is what's happening inside of us. And one of the beautiful things as far as transformation goes, we see in the book of Psalms where Paul, uh, Paul, David will start out um, lamenting to God and saying, God, things are so messed up and I'm so afraid and I can't believe what's happening. Everybody wants to kill me and I just want to die. And he starts out with all these dire thoughts and feelings. But if you keep reading in many of those Psalms, by the time he gets to the end, he's thinking really different thoughts. And he starts to praise God because he realizes now that he's in the light of God's presence that his life is not as dark as it seems because God is with him and God is strong and God will make changes and God will protect and God will rescue. 
So in that way, you can see the words are transformed from fear and hopelessness to worship and peace and hope. And that's the idea. And we all experience this, right? You all have these times of prayer. I'm not saying how often, but those times when you come to God and you come really emotionally wrecked. Uh, But there's just this faith in you that he's hearing you right now, and so you start to speak out what you're feeling. And as you speak it, you kind of get it off of your heart. Then you start to get hopeful, and you start to remember who you are and who you're talking to and how powerful he is and how much he loves you. And this this is what God has for us. This is communion. And I want to remind you of a couple of other things, that in these moments when you commune with God and you trust him, There's a couple of other people praying for you, or other persons praying for you. And one of those persons is actually Jesus. Hebrews 7 says, But because Jesus lives forever, this is in contrast to priests that died, because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. So when you choose to commune with God, you're joining with Jesus in what he's already been doing. Isn't that tremendous? I know it's not a new thought, but just to think it again, Jesus is already doing this work. He's already trusting God the Father. He's already knowing that God the Father is the answer to everything that you need. And so he's already doing the praying. And you're just joining in. You're just saying, Father, I agree with Jesus. Whatever he's asking for me, that's what I want. Whatever he's pleading for, I say yes to whatever Jesus is praying. And I want you to know this is not a sentimentality. This is in the word of God. It's, It's a reality. So it's not a nice thought that comforts you. This is an activity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he is at the right hand of the Father making intercession, praying for you and for me, always praying. And then there's a second person involved in this prayer, and that is, of course, the Holy Spirit. Paul says, the Spirit prays for us, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groans that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's will. It says he prays with groans. Who groans? The Spirit, yeah. Yes, and I want to suggest to you that this isn't just the Spirit in the presence of God but it's the Holy Spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit prays not at the right hand of the Father, that's Jesus. The Holy Spirit prays from earth in you and through you. And I would suggest that that groaning can be human as well. I remember a time a lot of years ago when I was praying for my firstborn son. Uh, our firstborn son has a lot more personality than Tricia and I do. We are pretty calm people, and we are both highly compliant people. And our firstborn son was not. And that was tough. We were 19, we were 20, 21 when he was born. And so by the time he's a teenager, we're only 32, 35. 
And he's just bigger than we can handle. He's just, he's got bigger questions we never had. And my heart was really broken. And I, I prayed for him a lot throughout his life. Still do. All the kids, not just this one. Um, but I remember one time I just was out of words. And I was so full of grief. And I just quit saying words. But I had these emotions and this, this heaviness way down inside. And I wanted to say things and there was nothing to say. But there were these, these groans that came really deep inside me. But they felt really powerful. And I was like, man, what is this? And I just, I knew this is the Holy Spirit taking over for me because I got past me. I got past my strength. I got past my words. I got past my hope that I was going to make a difference in my wonderful son's life. And the Holy Spirit picked up the slack and said, I'm praying too. And I won't stop. And I won't run out of words. And I won't run out of faith because I know who the Father is. And that son's doing pretty good today, by the way. (laughs) God answers his own prayers. So, let's get back to where we started, rule of life. What I want to challenge in you is that you find regular places in your life where you can step into this reality, this place of deep communion with God. And maybe you already do. I'm sure on some level you do. Uh, We're prompted to do it in times of desperation for sure, but how much better to come to God and be intimate with him when nothing's radically broken or falling apart. (laughs) Just imagine being with God when actually I don't need anything right now. Thank you, God. But to commune with him deeply. I... I challenge you to, this is just what I believe. I believe that every person of God needs to be in the scriptures and in prayer every day. I just don't know any other way to do life than to feed your spirit and to commune with your Father every day. And for me, that has to be in the morning. It's just, I have to start the day there. I know that whatever I do in the first hour is going to be kind of setting me up for the trajectory of the rest of the day. So if I start my day in anxiety because there's so much to go on, that's exactly where I'm going to go. Or if I start my day in distraction, I know that's what I'm going to do. If I start my day playing a game on my phone, I'm going to play that game a lot that day. (laughs) It's just the trajectory I started myself on. But when I start my day, when I'm barely waking up, communing with God, just that, you know, good morning, Father. I know you're here. I know you didn't sleep. And I know you're really close. And I want to get in line with you today. I don't want to be far away. I don't want to be caught up in the confusion of what the world has to say. If you start your day in Facebook, you're going to start in anxiety and maybe angst. And you may go there eventually, but I'm not sure that's where you want to start. I think we want to start with God. Father, what's on your heart today? Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you're for me. Thank you that you're going to provide everything I need today. I'm talking 30 seconds. Just 30 seconds of communing with God. Now, maybe it takes more than 30 seconds to get there. If you wake up in anxiety or 
I like poor Tricia, you wake up not yet awake. <laughs> My poor wife takes a couple of hours to become fully coherent, <clears throat> which is tough because her husband is coherent five seconds into waking up. Yes, amen. <laughs> Let's go. Come on. Here we go. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Please, please give me some space. Is, am I speaking your language? Is this, yeah. this relationship and this relationship are the same relationship. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and mercy to you who are not mourning people. I, that, I get it that that's the way you're wired. I used to think that was something else, but it's not. After 40 years, there's no getting over that. It's just, that's how you're wired. But even if you're wired that way, whatever sleepy prayer and sleepy communion is, you know, I encourage you to do it. You know, do it in your sleep, whatever that is. Sometimes that might... Uh, one of the beautiful things about the phone is I've got song and scripture that I can listen to right there. And so if you aren't a morning person, maybe you... I wonder what it would be like to set your alarm and have it start reading your daily devotional as your wake up, as your alarm. Can you do that? Right? Yeah, so I could have my daily reading literally be my alarm. Ooh, why have I never thought of that before? <laughs> That's amazing. Just, it's like, it's like being fed. <laughs> Here, Lori, I know you're not awake. Yeah, yeah. Little birdie. <laughs> No, Trisha uses her phone and goes in and starts to get ready for the day. And for quite a few minutes, she's got her daily reading playing there on her phone as she's getting ready. And getting ready is fairly mindless, so her mind is on the scriptures. But just the encouragement is establish a rhythm for yourself. My rhythm is while I'm still laying in bed. And, and I haven't done this all my life, but in the last few years... I just immediately, when I wake up, a lot of times I'll just raise my, I'll raise my hand. So I'm laying down and I'll just put up my hand as a symbol um, to God to say, I need to receive from you right now. God, I need strength. I need wisdom. I need what's right. And I don't even say anything. He knows what that arm means and I know what that arm means. So it's just so easy. It's just... Thank you, God. Thank you. And another thing I want to help equip you in this, <clears throat> I don't know why, but in, in my Protestant um, non-denominational upbringing, I got good at a lot of words. And lately I've been around others from other traditions, and they use very few words. And I'm starting to realize I don't need so many words. <laughs> I don't have to pray that many prayers. I don't have to explain you know, God, my friend has cancer, it's in stage four, and he's been to da-da-da, and the father's like, got it covered. I was there. I was actually with him in the hospital during all of that, so I, I know, I know. And then when I find myself explaining to God what he should do, so I think you should heal him, and I think you should touch the doctor's hands and let the doctors do it, it's like, I might do that, or I might do something else. <laughs> like, why all these words? Why am I explaining it all? And I find when I was able to release all these words, I prayed more. And I prayed more deeply because I didn't need all those words. God knew. I just had to say, God, I agree with you. Whatever you're thinking you want to do for Kevin, that's what I want. Because God is more creative than I am. No matter how creative my prayer or how well-formed it is, it's not going to be as good as the will of God for you. I want to give you guys a few minutes to do this right now. While we don't have a room full of kids that we love, 
and there is a modicum of quiet, I just want to invite you to <clears throat> practice um, what we've talked about in whatever way you need to. I just want to encourage you. Uh, there's a thing called centering prayer. Anybody have any experience with centering prayer? Yeah, how would you? Let me ask you to. <clears throat> let's just get some explanation here. Kevin, what is centering prayer? Well, it's meditative. You, you quiet yourself. And you, you, you're really not directing it. You're tr- it's kind of the opposite of that. You're not trying to direct it. You're inviting the Holy Spirit into your being at that moment and asking him to direct your, your spirit, your mind, your being to whatever is um, on his mind and with an un- underlying understanding that he is good that he wants to meet you there, and that he will come when you ask him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very well said. Did you have more than that, or was that, that was sufficient, right? Yeah. Yeah, centering prayer is centering on God, centering on the Holy Spirit. It might be considered, we talked about the Holy Spirit is always interceding, and it's in a sense asking the Holy Spirit if you can join him where he is, or join the Spirit where he is. And so it's something like that. If anything, I've, I've understood that you, you might be allowed one word in centering prayer, but no more. And that word would probably be good or peace or whatever you need. Maybe it's faith. And so let's practice this. Let's just take a little bit of time. And uh, if you need to ask God for a word or you need a word, if there's something you need, but try to release everything but a single word, a single idea about God. And just listen and offload your own thoughts and feelings and and just say god i want to think and feel like you right now let's let's close our eyes maybe it would help to open your hands and again this is not um empty meditation this isn't sentiment but this is living adults and children in the presence of a living and active god and by faith Though we can't see him, we know he's here. And so we acknowledge that. Father, we acknowledge that you are here. We thank you that heaven and earth can overlap by our choice. And we choose to be in your presence. We say, Holy Spirit, come. We pray, Father, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We listen now. And we center on you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you pray for us. We thank you that you remind us of what we forget. We thank you that you teach us what we don't know. We thank you that you comfort what in us is uncomfortable. Jesus, we thank you that you always pray. We thank you that your death, your burial, and your resurrection opened up the door so that we can come into the presence of the Father without fear that there is no condemnation, that there is no rejection, but that we are fully acceptable. Father, we praise you that even though you know us, 
and even you know all of us and what we have done, that you have released all judgments through the blood of Jesus, and that we are not judged, but we are free to be in your presence, that we are safe with you, a mighty, a powerful, a holy, and even terrifying God, that we are safe in your presence through Jesus. And we receive your invitation to draw close and to release everything between us and embrace you directly, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We embrace you now. Would you fill us with joy now so that we can worship you and thank you in spirit and in the truth. We receive you, Holy Spirit. Fill us to worship you now. Jesus, thank you in your name.